Take your Bibles and we're going to turn to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. We are not preaching from Ezra, but I'm going to read a text from Ezra. Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, and we'll go to Psalm 118, and finally we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, when you have those verses, if you'll stand, we'll read these two verses. Ezra 3, 10 and 11, and when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord... They set the priest in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of King David, king of Israel. And they sang together by chorus in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. The Bible says in verse 11, and they sang together. They sang together. Singing's a wonderful thing. Turn to, well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for the solid rock. We thank you for the fact that you did uh, allow Israel to build a temple, even though it's been destroyed. One day you'll allow another one to be built. But Lord, we're in your house tonight, and we pray as we fellowship together, study, preach, and sing, that we do it all to your honor and glory. It's not about us, it's about you and your son, Jesus. Blessed now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and turn to Psalm chapter 118. Some believe that they sang, you may be seated, I'm sorry. Some believe they sang Psalm 118 here in this passage. It says they, in Ezra, it says they were thankful. They were thankful for the house of God and they sang something to appreciate God allowing them to build. If you look at Psalm 118, you have a subtitle over that, or uh, excuse me, a title that says Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, and that's, of course, this week for us. Uh, And we are praising the Lord for something different this week. We're praising Him for the foundation of our country. Uh, Built, of course, originally, the original founders, many were believers, the pilgrims were believers, and they were escaping the... the, the, uh, Church of England, frankly, and escaping uh, government religion and escaping uh, a lot of the control of the government, high taxes, and they wanted the rights that we have today, the Bill of Rights, and so they, they left and they came to this country and they celebrated with the Indians and they had a time of thanksgiving, just to thank God. And that's why we celebrate thanksgiving. Then we look at Psalm chapter 118, verses 22 to 27. And this, as we said, is a psalm of thanksgiving of David. And we see in verse 2, it says, The stone which the builders have refused has become the head of the cornerstone. And we sang, Sherry sang about the rock. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our sight. And then this little chorus that we sing, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We're going to sing that little chorus after the service today as we conclude the service. It says, in Matthew, they sang the hymn and went out into the Mount of Olives. We can't go out in the Mount of Olives, but we can go out. And we're going to conclude our service with that little chorus. Verse 25, save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, beseech, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Remember verses 25 to 27 were sung at Passover. 
We read on, verse 26, Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which has showed us the light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. So they would sing this during Passover. And prophetically, of course, it was written in Hebrew and it made sense to them. We have a hard time trying to make this rhyme and sing it, but we have made a good little chorus out of verse 24. And at the conclusion of Passover, they would sing verses 22 to 24. Two little choruses they would sing. Now, it's interesting because verse 25 says, save now. And you remember what happened in the New Testament. When Jesus rode into the city, they cried, Hosanna. And you know what that Hebrew word is? Save now. They cried, Hosanna. That's the Hebrew word. That's the word here, the Hebrew word. Save now, save now. And so they were, were crying for him to save them from Roman oppression, but he was there to save them from sin. Then in these first three verses, uh, we know that's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the cornerstone of the church, and the day, notice the definite article, this is the day. That day is talking about a specific day, prophetically. The Jews didn't even realize they were singing about Jesus going to the cross and being rejected, the headstone being rejected by Israel. And uh, that day is a day we rejoice in. As we look back and we know what's happened, our sins been paid for. Jesus said in Luke twenty-two fifteen, "With great desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer." So he had a Passover with the disciples before he went to the cross, and he said, "The next time I drink the fruit of the vine with you, will be in the kingdom." And that's going to be an exciting time. Verse eight in in this chapter. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man is the key verse of the chapter. And then the middle two words here are the Lord, the Lord. And he's, he's the theme of the Old Testament, and he's the theme of the New Testament, and he is, of course, going to be King of kings and Lord of lords one day. Now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Over in the New Testament, and we'll spend some time there, not very long. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we pick up and we read verse 26 and verse 17. Verse 26 says, For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So clearly, way back in Psalms, they were singing about the Lord's death and didn't realize it. Tonight, we're going to celebrate his death. And verse 17, it says here in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 11, Now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. So here is a rebuke by Paul. 1 Corinthians was written by Paul, and he rebuked the Corinthian church all the way through. And then in 2 Corinthians, he talked about restoring those that had repented. It's one thing to rebuke someone. It's another thing to accept them back into the fold and to forgive them. Paul did both very well in writing these letters. Of course, he was inspired by God. And so he says, I I'm not happy with what I hear about the church at Corinth. And we know in chapter 3, 
He talked about all the division in the church. The, most, the thing he spent most of the time on was division. Division is a terrible thing to have in a church. Right now we have unity, thank God for it, but the devil's always on the horizon, going to try and do something, because he's always at work. Be on guard when you hear it and see it, you know, hey, something's happening right now to hinder our church, and I need to pray for our church, because it will happen. And we look now at verse 2. In verse 2, he, um, he says here, Now I praise you, brethren, Um, verse, verse, verse 12 is what I want. I apologize. <laughs> verse 12. He says, verse, verse, let's read verse 2 first. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I have delivered unto you. He says, I want you to do things the right way. And he, he says here in verses 17 and following that there are several problems in the church. And rather than verse 2, I meant to go to verse 18, which says, For first of all, when we come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And he said, I, I partly believe it. They could deny it, but he believed it. So first of all, division. And you want to mark your Bible if you want to learn a word. This is the word schisma. We get our word schism from it, which means to split. To split. And uh, there's so much we could say about church splits, but there was a split, a division amongst them. I don't know how many churches have split, but churches split all the time because of division. And so Paul says here, here are the problems in this church. I'm disappointed in the church. Number one, first of all, he says, there's division. Second of all, in verse 19, he says there's heresy. For there must be also heresy among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. He said there's heresy as well. Heresy is false doctrine. We know that there's false doctrine all through the church. And we know there was back then, there is today. We think of back then they had Gnosticism, they had Judaism. People, the Judaizers came in and said, while you're saved, you still have to keep the law. They had all types of mythology in the church, all types of things going on. The church was in bad shape, especially the church at Corinth. So there was heresy. Today, there's even heresy in the Lord's Supper. There are people that teach the Lord's Supper is a salvation experience, that if you get in line and you allow the, the leader of the church to put that little wafer on your tongue, that that becomes the actual body of the Lord, turns into his flesh in your stomach. That's a false teaching. And the wine doesn't turn into his blood. They, they've found that out because they've had people's stomach contents and proven that that's a myth. But that's been taught in churches. There's so many things that are taught wrong in the Lord's Supper. Some teach that we have to close the Lord's Supper and only allow members to take it. I don't believe for a minute if Paul went to the Corinthian church, they'd say, Paul, you can't partake because you're not a member of this church. No, if you're part of the body of Christ, you're born again, you can partake of the Lord's Supper. If you're on an island somewhere, you can partake of the Lord's Supper to remember his death. And uh, don't forget that sometime if you're away from church for a long time, celebrate the Lord's Supper with some friends. Uh, it doesn't have to be governed by a pastor. And the Lord's Supper is important. Why do we take the Lord's Supper? To remember what? Two things, the body and the blood. And so remember that and be thankful for the, that, the fact that he gave his life. Third, he says also, 
of gluttony in verses 20 and 20 to 22. He says, when you come together, therefore, into one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, one taketh before his own, after his own supper, and others hungry, and others drunken. And of course, drunkenness is also mentioned here. So they had a problem with the Lord's Supper. People would come to take of the Lord's Supper, and they had a big feast along with the Lord's Supper, and they came for the feast. They weren't there to remember what the Lord had done. And he says, the purpose of the Lord's Supper is not to have a feast. It's to remember his death. And can you imagine getting together like they did and getting drunk at the Lord's Supper? That's what they did. He said they would get drunk. Um, and, and so he's rebuking the church here, a very carnal church. And, and there's so much to say about sin in churches, but uh, they need to be right with God to partake. It says here in verse 19, he says in the middle of the verse, that they which are approved may be manifest among you. James would translate this as he does in one twelve. tried, tried. We go through difficulty in life, and that is what God uses to prove and to try us so that we can be uh, uh, an example to others. The, the, the people in church who uh, really stand out are people that have been tried and tested and kept keep living for God. There are different motives for going to church. There are people who go to church, no doubt, and I'm not saying that here. I shouldn't say that all the time to give you an excuse or a path. But we know in churches, people go to church because they want to find a business client. They go to church because they want to have, make some new friends. They go to church because uh, they're forced to go to church. We could have a long list, couldn't we, of reasons people go. The purpose for going to church should be to worship the Lord to sing and to pray and to hear his word and to, and to testify. And all those things are all about lifting him up. But some are, are, are an example of what they should be. And in verses 27 to 29, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So he mentions these four sins, but he could have mentioned a hundred sins, couldn't he? He said, these are things I know about you, and I don't want you to take the Lord's Supper unworthily. Meaning, if you have sin in your life, you should not take the Lord's Supper. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And verse 30 is quite startling. He says, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Evidently in the early church, many people died because they took the Lord's Supper and didn't know the Lord or took the Lord's Supper out of fellowship with the Lord. So this was a serious matter. I know in the early church a lot of things happened that we don't see happen today. People were raised from the dead, and different things happened. Still the apostolic gifts were still in play. And here's something that's kind of shocking. And I, 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 I'd imagine if we, if we thought this were going to take place today, could you imagine a church, and we know many of them, that don't, none of the people know the Lord, and yet they take the Lord's Supper. There are churches like that. They don't know the Lord, they take the Lord's Supper. If this verse were applicable, the whole church would drop dead. I mean, so it's serious. It was so serious, people died, but it's still serious. The sin back then was serious. It's just as serious today. While God maybe isn't going to have you drop dead if you're lost and you take the Lord's Supper or out of fellowship with Him, it's still a serious matter to realize that God wants us
to be right with Him and be born again and have your sin confessed. Verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So he's talking to believers. But when we are judged, we are chastened to the Lord. He says, you know, it's a lot easier for us just to examine ourselves and be hard on ourselves than have the Lord have to chasten us. Has the Lord ever chastened you? Oh, my word, he's thrown me over his knee so many times and dealt with me, chastened me. Chastening in the early church was always, always was part of instruction. In fact, the Greek word can be translated either way. People don't realize that God, in his word, ties chasing and instruction together. Discipline and instruction. Now, nowadays schools are so far from what they should be. You know, in the early, early days of school, the Bible, Blue Book Speller, Noah's Webster's Christian Dictionary were all part of the curriculum, Bible class every day, saluting the flag, praying, and all that were part of the school. Nowadays, uh, we don't discipline children, and we wonder why they don't learn. Uh, my wife is a certified teacher, and she taught one year in, in the public school system and taught a lot of years in Christian school and said in the public school, people would just tell her terrible, say terrible things, and they'd send them to the office, and they'd get a note back. They're just expressing themselves. We don't discipline for that. Man, I went to public school a long time ago, and I was disciplined. And if you were disrespectful, you were disciplined. You can't instruct and teach people without discipline going along with it. Now, we don't spank people in church. We have church discipline. If you're in deep sin, you'll have to face it. You know, that's 1 Corinthians 5, another sermon, another time. But the fact of the matter was, discipline and instruction went hand in hand. He says in verse 34, And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you not come together into condemnation. So they, they, were, they were doing the wrong thing, and they would be condemned. He says, let's straighten this mess out. Come for the Lord's Supper to do one thing. And what is that? To be thankful and to remember what he did on the cross. And uh, then he says, I'll set the rest in order when I come. I'd have been nervous if I were not right with God and I heard Paul were headed my way. I think I'd take that Sunday off, you know. Uh, Paul was not a compromiser in any way, shape, or form. He didn't hesitate to speak the truth. You know, he rebuked Peter. And Peter was one of the pillars of the church and one of the original 12, and he's part of the inner circle. Peter was pretty close to Jesus. Didn't bother Paul. When Peter was wrong, he told him. He said, you don't treat the Gentiles right. When you're around the Jews, you won't speak to them. And you're a hypocrite for it. Now, that's a paraphrase. But Paul spoke the truth. Paul wasn't perfect, but I like his boldness. And here he is writing this church in the whole letter. Almost the entire letter is just rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. Read chapter 3 when you get home and you'll see all the rebuke.